The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Mathberry here, rotoworld.com. That's right, proud to be bringing rotoworld.com back. I'm obviously a big part of NBC Sports, NBC Sports Edge, and Football Night in America. So a lot of my content's gonna be coming out on NBC Sports Edge, including next Wednesday, doing the Rotoworld Draft Guide, 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock, and the new NFL on NBC YouTube channel. Check it out again next Wednesday at 8 o'clock. It's all part of our Rotor World Draft Day Marathon. I so wish I could be there with you and Canton at the FF Expo. I know it's going to be a great time, but I am busy um, working hard this weekend. So for now, what I'm going to do is I want to leave you with a live broadcast, a, a live broadcast with my guys, with, with C.D. Carter, right? Denny Carter, Roto Pat, Kyle Dvorak, uh, Pat Crane, and of course... My God, Lord don't lose Lawrence Jackson. I miss you all, hope I can be there next year. Have a great conference, much love. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show. I am Patrick Darty, as Mr. Matthew Berry said, joined by Mr. Denny Carter, also known as Craig, Mr. Kyle Dvorak, also known as Kyle, Patrick Crane, who we call Crane, and Lawrence Jackson at Lord Don't Lose, the best Twitter handle all time. We are live in Canton, Ohio. I wish, I always want to say what number state Ohio was, like the 24th state of Ohio, and I should have looked that up. That sounds right. Yeah, I think it should right. be, it's yeah. around 20. Should have looked that up on Wikipedia before the show, and we're so happy to be here live. We're going to be taking audience questions today. We're also, we'd be remiss if we did not remind you about Roto World Draft Day, Wednesday, August 17th, maybe tomorrow if you're listening to this via audio, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern on our new YouTube channel, NFL and NBC, youtube.com slash NFL and NBC. It's going to be an all-day draft marathon. We're going to have uh, several uh, mock drafts, a best ball mock draft, a super flex mock draft, two episodes of the podcast, two Q&As, uh, a YouTube video of Denny and I. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry in advance, but uh, yeah. yeah, that'll be included. Called Galaxy Brains. Um, so yeah, we're tapping into the zeitgeist with that one. It's where we think a little too hard about uh, football happenings. And so what Denny, might mean. speaking of tapping into the zeitgeist, bad quarterback play. Um, Zach Wilson this weekend, yeah. and then you, Denny, at um, the flag football uh, uh, tournament here at the Canton the Fancy Football Expo. 
Where just really, I'm gonna read off your stats real quick. They're in there. Right? Yeah, go ahead. Zero of one for zero yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception. That um, that's technically that's technically correct. If you watch the game, which I always encourage people to do, if you watch the game, you'll see that I actually found you down the sideline wide open. And uh, remember, I was streaking wide open, streaking wide open, and honestly. Didn't make much of an effort to come back to the ball. So, I don't know if that's on me, but I, I guess I will take the brunt of it. Well, what there was were, the original play call? The original I just play. want to know what the original play yeah, call Yeah, no, the, the original play, and we talked about it a lot before the game, was for Lawrence to come underneath and for me just to check down. And, but when I, when I looked at him, he has two, two guys on him. I'm not going to throw. And I, and, I, and I apologize, honestly, in, in retrospect. I should have just checked down to you and let you do your thing. But I that was a touchdown. <laughs> so we wanted to get Lawrence the ball in space. Uh, instead, the team we were playing, what team were uh, Trophy Smack? They had Kyle Hamilton at free safety, and he closed in <laughs> well, real hard. And and that's and that's something I didn't anticipate was them playing two deep safeties. <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't know we were doing that in flag football. The book so. is out on Denny. Denny has a bit of an arm. Like we try to like you know make make not it a enough. meme that Denny's not an athlete, but unfortunately he kind of yeah, is. Yeah, and that guy that guy was deep. That guy's forty yards off the line of scrimmage, <laughs> and uh, who who would have known? Who would have known? So yeah, Denny did not uh, complete the pass. We were out of the tournament in two plays. In two plays. Um, because I got burned by Wes Welker uh, yes, so. <laughs> afterward, uh, a Wes Welker lookalike. So we didn't make you proud, but we will make you proud with the show. We hope to make the audience proud by answering their questions. They were here to take any and all questions. I see, except from the one man wearing the CBGB shirt, uh, Mr. Bob Harris. Uh, he's disqualified. Actually, no, ask questions, so Bob. Um, but yeah, any questions? We're, we're here for we're here for an hour. So we heard. We got a question here. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So the question is, how do we like sort fact from fiction, kind of in the preseason? Like, what is real? What do you play stock in? What do you not play stock in? And I'm going to let the analysts here talk in just a second. But it's, I'll say it's become harder than ever because the preseason used to have very set rhythm, yeah. where starters play a little bit in the first two games, then the starters would play two or three quarters in the third game. You get a look at like the real live first team offense, and like some teams still with only three preseason games now, like teams are just approaching it. Totally different. Like, there's no like consensus on what even is like the starters game anymore. A lot of teams no longer even have the starters game. So, Patrick Crane, you look like you might have thoughts, and ho- hopefully that's a thoughts face. Um, how do you sort do of have a few thoughts in the preseason? I think the biggest thing is, and, and the market's done a much better job over the last couple of years of factoring this in, is who's playing with the starting quarterback. You know, the first team, who's getting the snaps. The snaps is going to tell you a lot more than the performances in most cases because we care about who's actually going to be on the field come week one but at the same time like week one is not everything so there you don't want to completely lose sight of you know if you've got a rookie who is maybe not playing a ton with the first team like Garrett Wilson didn't have a ton of snaps with the first team in the preseason I don't think that's necessarily in the world we're looking at those types of guys coming on as the season progresses so but I do think like camp battles and, and stuff with veterans there's a lot to glean from just the snaps like Crane one thing I've noticed is like and like the new preseason, like unfor- it's the, the negative information a lot of times is more real than the positive information. Like so, like say the Titans this week who created like a lot of negative information for fantasy managers. Like when Traylon Burks is playing into the fourth quarter, like that's obviously very notable because he's not he's clearly not with the first team offense, and they clearly think he's nowhere close to being like a big time contributor in week one. Like 
that's something like that's a data point like wow this is a problem. Whereas like, we don't get nearly as much positive information because a lot of times the positive information is this guy's not playing. So they, they're putting him in bubble wrap. And that's also kind of one of the takeaways from the new preseason, I feel like. Yeah, I think it's like that tells you if you're drafting him in the seventh round expecting him to be a week one contributor for you, he probably will not be. But at the same time, if that then gets priced in, which I expect it will be, and he drops to like the ninth or tenth, it's a little bit of a different value because if he – I mean, frankly, if he starts scoring in week eight on at that at that value, and then he ends up being a star, it's a smash. Well, what, for Bob Harris, what's your question? Uh, come on, just get just get out of the way. Come on. <laughs> so the question is, yeah, how do you kind of how do you evaluate coaching in the preseason, and like like are we kind of maybe it plays into like can you assume rational coaching? Uh, yeah, which you can't. Um, so the question, by the way, from Bob Harris at Football Diehard, it's one of the best people on Twitter. We love Bob, but who, who's got some thoughts on this? Danny? What, what, I'm st- the question... <laughs> what do you read into with preseason coaching? Right, like, oh, right, right, right. Who can we trust? Maybe I, who can we trust? What, what kind of coaching decisions can you trust in the pre... Like, what can you read into? Like, well, so-and-so is using so-and-so like this. That might actually right. be applicable to the regular season. I, I think as important as that is, it's also important to listen to coaches during training camp and during the preseason and to take what they say somewhat seriously i mean there's always going to be kyle shanahan's who you know trick us into oblivion every year with the backfield but 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 it, it is it is something i talked about this on a good football show or on a roto world uh football podcast the, the, the other day uh, where uh the lawyers uh, are we, most of the crowd is actually nbc lawyers i had right they are well, i'm uncomfortable now uh but yeah and and, and to really i've tried to pay more attention to what coaches are saying about players this this off season instead of just relying entirely on on my evaluation of a player or a team or that player's situation on that team his his fantasy environment um, so I'm, I try to blend those blend those a little bit if that makes sense yeah I think it's a uh, it's like a coach by coach on a coach by coach basis like uh, Denny said Kyle Shanahan Sean McVay. They just gonna say anything, mm-hmm. you know. They don't care about our fantasy teams, but when you got a guy like Andy Reid, and you see him putting uh, Sky Moore, using him in the backfield, trying to get him the ball each and every way, like you take, you consider that, you know. Uh, so it just depends on the coach, his history, uh, what he's done with players, especially when we're talking about rookies, because we all love the rookies when they get in there. Uh, we want to see the top rookies and how they're being used. Uh, so, yeah, it's really just a coach-by-coach coach basis. But then you get a guy like uh, – you get a generational talent like Kyle Pitts, who I think we all going to know regardless um, how he's going to, you know, be used in such fashion. So, yeah, it just depends who the coach is and what their history is with the media. Uh, Bill Belichick will outright tell you, fantasy football means nothing to me. So there you go. So you don't have to worry – for him, you have to actually wait till we get to the field. So, yeah, just no, try to know the coaches, and then you couple that with, you know, what we see in our evaluations, and then we go from there. Yeah, as Denny and Lawrence have highlighted, like, some coaches – so there's kind of, like, this perception, like, you can never trust anything a coach or a GM says. Like, oh, he's just lying. Like, clearly that's just a lie. And that is more, like, colored by like, a few coaches where, like, Pete Carroll – like, you could tear your ACL, and Pete Carroll, like, two weeks later, like, he's ahead of schedule 
Like, he's probably going to be ready to play in, like, a month. And, like, well, I probably don't believe that. Uh, Sean Payton was really, really bad. Like, maybe the most opaque coach yes. in the NFL. And Kyle Shanahan's infamous. But most of these guys are, like, bad liars. And like, they don't they, even try. Yeah. I, I find that so interesting, the mindset of a lot of coaches. I think to get to such a high level of almost any profession, you have to kind of have a big ego. Especially in a very, uh, you know, like, football is a very just outwardly, like, aggressive, it's a violent sport. So to be a leader of these all, uh, you know, very athletic men, you have to have an ego that makes you want to talk about your team and about yourself and your strategy a surprising amount because coaches should probably lie more all the time, in fact, as a strategic measure. But a lot of them are, are pretty open, more open than strategically you would want to be. So they're outliers, and I think those ones color our perception of them. But a, a lot of coaches just love to talk. Yeah, they, and they, they kind of wear their emotions on their sleeves. Like, it's very clear, like, when Mike Rabel like, doesn't like a player, like, ooh, wow, yeah, not drafting him anymore. Um, so, yeah, it, it, yeah it, I think the, we t- took the meme too far, like, never believe coach. And, like, a lot of times they will just, like, well, we weren't kidding. Kendrick Bourne is uh, trying to make him Debo Samuel. That's interesting. So, yeah. Not, not all coaches. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't change much except for making our lives better. Because we were talking about this in the opening panel, like the Matthew Barry boat. Like, it's gonna be what's the thing? The rising tide. It's gonna lift yeah, all it, the NBC it, boats. It, I mean, lift the boats. NBC, you know, is pretty committed to fantasy already amongst like the major media companies. One of the most committed, but clear. Obviously, they're more committed than they've ever been. Mm-hmm. We're bringing in the biggest name in the industry. They're putting him on Sunday Night Football. Um, so we're going to be working with him. We're going to be interacting with him on his preview show on Sundays, on his live show on Peacock. But also, so we'll be working together, but it's kind of all, we're still going to be doing our thing on the Road World Football Show. Like We're not breaking up the band, so to speak. And um, so we're still going to be all of our same great content. And this Matthew being around, being Matthew, being the, the GOAT is a... To, Kyle said to say the goat. Yeah, you the kid got it saying. in the. Ju- it doesn't sound right coming out of your mouth. You <laughs> used it in a correct fashion, but when you say it, it doesn't sound it great. Sound, it sounds awful. It, it's yeah, not good. Yeah. It's not good. But uh, <laughs> like, I, he's got a lot of followers, and if you're listening to this and you follow him, I don't maybe shoot us a follow. You uh, should shoot us a follow. But it is pretty wild how mainstream he makes fantasy like. 
you know, the fact that like my grandma can be like, I saw that guy on ESPN <laughs> or whatever. I saw him on NBC now is uh, insane for a fantasy person. Because yeah, so like we don't deserve that amount of clout, and somehow we got it. I, I would say B- Barry being on the field for the uh, Hall of Fame game was is a big moment for fantasy football in general. Like I, I think a, a lot of us who have been in the industry for a while saw that and we're like, oh, it's happening. It's happening. Like we we had, we got someone. We've in, we've infiltrated onto the field. He it's was a, also the first fantasy analyst to ever touch a football field. <laughs> it's true. And then and then we did, and you saw what happened. Well, I was to say you could question whether it was a good decision by NBC. I mean, I'm a company man, but they put a fantasy guy on the field, Matthew Barry. That's great. And then a week later, we're like, well, the barrier's been broken. A fantasy guy's on the Let's field in Canton, Ohio, and then Denny comes. And then and I messed it up. What can you What can you do? Man, it was uh, not good. The pregame analysis of how Jalen Hurts is going to do specifically for fantasy, which we know a ton of people are watching yes. for that exact information. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a huge, huge deal for us. Um, all your you know, the, the NBC fantasy analysts you know and love. Uh, but it's just a huge deal for the industry, too. You and you said, know what you don't like. You said the band's not breaking up. Uh, correction, the boy band. <laughs> We're the boy band. Yeah, and, yeah. and secondly, uh, <laughs> Matthew Berry just came to NBC to ride my coattails. So, and I said I let him. I said it's cool. I said, hey, look, I said, Matthew, stick with me. We going places, baby. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that. I, I've, I've written a, a handwritten uh, note to Matthew Berry asking for one retweet. So I'm, I'm, ho- I'm hoping that comes through. Do you get to choose which, can you say, I want you to do this one? Or no, is it any, literally any, anyone, Matthew, yeah, if you're listening. And I'll just be honest with you, that's, that's going to be tied up for months, if not years, in NBC Legal. So. Oh, well. What, who has our next question? The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. So the, the general gist of the question, how do we evaluate new offensive coordinators? Are there some where we might be more primed to wait for more information, some where we might be primed to pounce earlier? Am I getting that right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think the Giants are an interesting one um, because there's been a number of shakeups. We've got um, you know, Wanda Robinson coming in, trying to figure out what his role is going to be. The only player who matters in fantasy anymore. Yeah. And I think in some in some cases, like we get a little tied to what happened in the past, we get tied to like the name brand value. But I think in situations like that, it can be quite fluid. Like I'm pretty nervous about Kenny Galladay. You know, it's like it's a new coaching staff. Like he reportedly is not having a very good training camp. Like 
I don't think it's impossible that we see some Colin Johnson mixing in with Kenny Galladay. Where That's like disgusting. I can't believe you'd say such a thing. I think like that type of shakeup when you have a new coaching staff is at least way more on the table than it would be with the same coaching staff with the, the guys built rapport. So I do think that's something to consider. Yeah, and I think it depends what you are looking for from the coaching staff. Going back to the Giants, because you know, I've drafted a lot of Giants in my day. Uh, we're, for me at least, I don't know if like he can make Dan- Daniel Jones do the Josh Allen leap. In fact, I, I almost know he can't because that's such a rare thing to happen. Really, he I can. Just, he can. No, no, you don't think no. Bill Walsh should be like, yeah, I'm retiring. <laughs> <laughs> but what I really just want to see, or the thesis of the Giants, is that we've seen the Bills previously have one of the highest pass rates over expectation in the league, and if we come out and see like back to back first and ten, second and nine runs. I feel like I've made the wrong bet. I didn't. This isn't what I wanted, and it's not going to go well. So I would react strongly. I mean, you know, it's one or two runs, but if they are playing philosophically like the Bills are, my bet is paying off, and I'll, I'll hold on to those players if not, they're not doing well. If he goes out and they are not playing stylistically comparable to the Bills, I was wrong. My my evaluation of how that team would operate will be wrong, and I'd react strongly quickly. So it depends on like what the win condition of the bets you're making are. Yeah, Kyle, you have a, a series on the site of what if, right? What yeah, if, and it's what, what if, if the Daniel Giants, Jones is good? What if Giants are, are what, good? What if, the, what if the Eagles pass more, right? Yeah, that's I another mean, one. It, it's I, like, I, I highly, highly recommend checking it out because it's like trying to get ahead of what we could know by week one. You know, by week one, oh, okay, Eagles are going to be more pass-heavy. You got it. But if you're ahead of that, then you're hammering A.J. Brown at his ADP. Then you're getting Dallas Goddard is hit. At his ADP, so Kyle's done a great job with that. Yeah, and that's like a, another perfect example of not a, a coordinator question necessarily, but uh, how is a team going to call right. their plays? I mean, the team that trades for A.J. Brown and pays him like $100 million, I would expect them to <laughs> throw a lot more. That's also the team that ran an absurd rate down the stretch last year. So we should get a decent idea early in the season of which version of the Eagles we're going to see. If they're down 14 and so run the football in week one, I'm not going to feel good about my A.J. Brown teams. <laughs> no. This is another thing that's like become more difficult over the years, I think, because you know we're seeing in some best ball drafts Justin Jefferson now going ahead of Cooper Cup, and that's very much because of the offensive coordinator change. Like that's like you know maybe completely because of the offensive coordinator change because we know we're going to get more passing in Minnesota. We know we're going to get more creative routes for Jefferson than trying to scheme him. So he's trying to get open against linebackers and stuff like we saw with Cup last year. But it does become. Now you have a much more difficult decision to make because it's like, are we, are we over-baking in that offense coordinator? Because we don't know for a fact that it's going to work like that. Staying, staying on the Vikings, is, I think that's a good example as well. Um, you mentioned how Justin Jefferson's uh, getting drafted ahead of Cooper Cup now. So with that offensive coordinator coming in, uh, people feel like, oh, no, now it's pass happy. So we got you know, to give Dalvin the bump down the wrong way. You also got to look at the talent, too. Now he has Dalvin Cook at running back. He didn't have that. You're not just going to you know, stop throwing the ball to a running back who's known to catch the ball out of the backfield. So you got to take that into consideration as well. They're not going to run the exact same scheme, the same plays, because they don't have the same players. You know, So, yeah, it'll be more creative route running uh, to get their playmaker, their best guy, Justin Jefferson, open. But – you still got Dalvin Cook there, who's a top five back in the league. So everything rolls into that, too. Yeah, Lawrence and Kyle kind of like hit it on the head, I think, where 
it does boil down to if you're like putting percentages on it, it's probably still more about the personnel they have than the scheme they're coming from. Because I mean, there's how many times we've seen, you know, like nine out of ten head coaching hires are like offensive coordinators coming from a hot scheme who just like immediately face plant because the per- they either don't have the personnel or try to like square peg around hole with the personnel and. You have to really kind of probably overweight. Matt Nagy. Yeah. I was going to say, it's, the, it's the, the Sam Darnold paradox. He just needs one more offensive coordinator. Get him one more, the right one, and there's, there's only so much you can do to fix that guy, as we found out time and time again. So very good question. Next question. The question's about injury optimism, which is, should be one of the biggest topics every summer, really, because like, it's just like an annual tradition, having too much injury optimism and how to make that into your draft decisions. In the specific case of Matthew Stafford, which is kind of like weird, uncharted territories. He's not like coming off like an injury from last year. It's not like he's coming off from a torn ACL. He's coming off an injury that like we, I mean, he, I guess he was listed with an elbow last year. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a new injury. We haven't seen how the Rams have handled it in the past. And, you know, who's, who's got some initial thoughts here on injury optimism? You remember last um, offseason when, because uh, the Cowboys was on the last hard knocks, right? And it was, it was looking real murky for uh, Dak Prescott in the shoulder. And it was like, people was really nervous about that. Like, is he going to be ready for week one? Um, if, you're, if you're going into these drafts, man, like, we, there's literally, like, we don't, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, they made it seem like Dak Prescott was going to miss six weeks. And then he's there week one, and he threw the ball 50 times. Um, <laughs> and his shoulder was hurt. You know, so obviously a guy like Matthew Stafford, elbow, well, that's attached to your arm, so that's important at quarterback. Um, it's it's about, like, just waiting it out, man, just letting the process take place. Um, as of today, we still relatively early in a redraft season, you know, so you hope that as we get to closer to the regular season, we start to get more answers, and then – when we were drafting at that time, we had more clarity, and then we could uh, make those moves. But I would say, yeah, uh, Matthew Stafford affects those guys a lot. <laughs> yeah, with the Stafford stuff, it, it definitely makes me more nervous about some of the Rams' ancillary pieces because one thing you could see happening is Stafford plays the whole season, but he plays through pain. And so, you know, that could potentially lead to some more errant throws, the Rams not trusting him as much to, you know, kind of have the whole offense going through him which would lead to more runs. And so you just have like a, a, the Rams kind of shifting towards the run, as they did at the end of the, of the regular season last year, which would then hurt kind of the non-cup pieces, I think, probably more because the offense is probably still going to run through cup, uh, even if it's a bit more run-heavy than they would prefer it to be. Yeah, I mean, we're only a year removed from Sean McVay go, shifting to a, a pretty dramatically run-heavy approach for, I don't know, the last four to six weeks of the regular season. They, I don't know if they were spooked over Stafford's picks for touchdowns. The one, the one three-interception game in particular, they yeah. threw the car in reverse, basically. And, with, a, with a pick six, I think, as well. And I, yeah. and I, don't, and I don't know uh, if, if Stafford's injuries played into that, but we saw that McVay is ready and willing to shift that offensive philosophy, which obviously could be big for someone like Cam Akers. But the, the elbow thing for, for Stafford, I think, I think is concerning. I mean... He's not going to throw until a week before the... They're not going to ramp him up to 100% uh, until a week before the season. And so you're looking at Cooper Cup with a third pick overall, fourth pick or whatever, and you can I, can I do this? Like, do I, feel, do I still feel comfortable? Because 
without Stafford, like you mentioned, it's a train wreck. It's John Walford, who's, a, who's mostly just a rushing quarterback. Who, and, who did beat the Arizona Cardinals. Have we, have we seen him and Taylor Heineke in the same room? <laughs> Possibly. But, yeah, and, and so you, you see Allen Robinson later, and you go, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll just hedge a little bit. It does play a factor. Well, the, the question is about how do we take into account, like, kind of, it seems like inc- increasingly crazy, like, injury return timelines, like, guys kind of, like, breaking the model. And I think, though, with those, th- those are still the exception. As we're seeing, like, with J.K. Dobbins just got cleared to do individual drills, like, a week ago. And so, like, I, I think we're getting more outliers than we used to, but, like, the baseline is still usually, like, 10 to 12 months with any, like, Achilles or ACL. Achilles is a little quicker. Uh, Michael Crabtree was kind of the beginning of that. Like, Michael Crabtree came. There's been more six-month, and Demarius Thomas did that, too. There's been more six-month Achilles returns. So you kind of bake it in in that you no longer have to assume if a guy gets hurt in, like, November, he's not going to be ready for week one or whatever. But you also need to, like, it's like, I think everyone who saw J.K. Dobbins be, like, full go for camp. Like, didn't even have to worry. Like, no one even, like, like considered his injury in, like, best, best ball drafts in, like, April or May. Well, we're still saying, I mean, he's probably going to be ready for week one. But yeah. does anyone else have any thoughts on this? Well, he got on, J.K. Dobbins got on Twitter and told us he was going to be ready for week. So once he, and, and he hadn't been on Twitter for months. But he got on there to let us know he was going to be ready for week one. And it, and it looks like he will be. But you mentioned the word outlier. It's almost like the outliers aren't even outliers no more. It's like. Everyone's coming back from the injury like a month shorter now. It seems like so. You know, it's the the sooner they come back, the better they can. They the better they can be for us, and you know that's what we all love about fantasy. <laughs> so, man, it's like. So the question: Do we worry yeah. that the guys even who do get back have diminished production on the field, like say Cam Akers? Yeah, in the yeah. I, that's mm-hmm. what I was going to bring up. Who um, you know he averaged two and a half yards per carry in the playoffs um it wasn't good but then when you really get down to it none of the running backs did good in those playoffs so then you have to consider that as well like Sony Michelle he averaged two yards a carry Daryl Henderson came back from injury he averaged two yards a carry they were facing some of the uh top they faced three of the top seven rush defenses during that playoff run so if it was only Cam Akers, it would be easier to determine. But since you have all those other factors, then you say, well, hmm, well, he did come back. So maybe further removed from the injury coming into this season, you have more optimism. I, I do think in general you still have to, like, bake in an injury penalty because the way Adrian Peterson came back, like Jamal Charles did the same thing. They came back, like, roaring. after t- Those still just feel like the exception and it seems like very, very frequently. Um, I, I think it's still worth kind of paying, baking in an injury penalty. Well, I mean, Cooper Cup's big season was like two years after he tore his ACL, right? Like the first year he came back, he wasn't what he was last year. So I, I think, yeah, you do want to bake in an injury penalty. And you'll see 80, some ADPs really reflect that injury penalty and some don't. So I think just kind of player by player, like Jamison Williams was going, I think, pretty high given – when he tore his ACL so late, the chances of him playing now we you know we've heard you know he might not play till November. So uh, with some guys, I think sometimes there's more optimism than with other guys who are dealing with the same injury. Uh, Joe Burrow comes to mind uh, last year. I think the assumption was he'd be 100 percent back week one. 
And whether he was or not, the Bengals didn't really treat him as such. It was it wasn't until after midseason that they let him, you know, let let cut him loose, and therefore, you know, the, the whole passing attack in Cincinnati. But the that assumption was wrong. Like like Joe Burrow, they they were not going to act like Joe Burrow was 100 percent in Week One. And that's another thing with the injury too. Even if they do get back, a lot of times they are treated differently. Mm-hmm. Which which is what I found interesting about Cam Akers for a while. I was really optimistic because like. Cam got to re even though he was ineffective, he got to regain trust in his knee in the most important games of his career. So I thought, you know, like this offseason would be like all systems go for Cam, but instead it has been the exact opposite. And all of a sudden Sean McVay remembers that he likes Daryl Henderson again. Or last year was like, ah, oh, this Daryl Henderson he doesn't, he doesn't really stay healthy. I'm like, I'm not a big fan. We're gonna need year. we're gonna need literally any anybody else yeah, besides Daryl yeah. Henderson. Nice. Speaking of injuries. We're trading Sony Michelle. I mean like we're trading for Sony Michelle, it's kinda crazy. The question is: Are any of us going to take Ramondre Stevenson over Damian Harris? I wonder who's going to. I wonder who's going to grab this microphone Patrick, here. Patrick well, Crane has stolen the microphone from Lawrence Jackson. The question should really be: Have we been taking Ramondre Stevenson over Damian Harris? And the answer to that is yes. I, I have been doing that. I, I think I did this last night because I, I have. You know, we're here working, but I still have basketball teams on, on slow drafts. I've become a slow draft bro. I think I did this for the first time. Last night, I, I the profile like you know, Crane, you wrote this great article about running backs with like league winning profiles, and this like Ramondre has the skill set of the league winner type. Do I think he achieves it very often? No, because Damian Harris is good. Like I think there are most times in the universe that this season plays out, Damian Harris probably outscores him, right? But the times when Ramondre outscores Damian Harris, I think could be massive. Yeah, and I think you know. Do you have the true sickness where you're actually thinking about this in terms of where the market's going to be in a month and it's June? Because if you do, you know, you could kind of see the the drumbeat on Ramondre Stevenson, you know, is had been really strong that he's potentially, like the beats are saying, he could be their starting running back and he catches passes whereas Damian Harris does not. So if you start to see that, you know, okay, the market's going to trend this way with the ADP, then I want to be ahead of that. And I feel like now the ADPs are... Basically, I mean, they break back to back, and I think Ramadre probably will ultimately go ahead. So I'll be taking a lot of Damian Harris probably as he slips. It's a different rushing system, first of all, in New England post Josh McDaniels, and I don't know if that system, which is supposed to kind of shade toward Shanahan territory, I don't know if that that system is great for Damian Harris. In fact, I would go on a limb and say it's it's not like that. The, the straight the straight ahead running style that Josh McDaniels has used in New England was great for Damian Harris. I don't know, I don't know if he fits there. Also, uh, uh, Stevenson last year on very limited pass-catching opportunities was very efficient. And that carried over from his college career where he did a lot with a little in the passing game. Uh, I am, I am I'm, I'm taking Stevenson over Harris. And he's big. He can get used to the goal line. Yes. He's got that profile where he can do everything, all the high-value touches. I am. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily taking Ramondre Stevenson over Damian Harris, but I am not ever drafting Damian Harris, and quite frequently drafting Ramondre Stevenson. So, fortunately, we have time for two more questions. We have one in the front. What is it? So the question is our thoughts on Aaron Jones, like the targets void for the Packers, and Aaron Jones' splits in the past without Devontae Adams. But also, this wasn't in the question. Kind of like every year, like. Why there's no reason for Aaron Jones not to catch 60 or 70 passes this year, and then he never quite does. But so, what are our thoughts on Aaron Jones post Devonte Adams? Well, um, 
Stafford. Yeah, I th- and now he's going in the second round. I kind of feel bad that he's not in my top 12 running backs. But, hey, you get Aaron Jones in the second round, they're going to – they want to use A.J. Dillon a little more. That's not necessarily, to me, a negative um, because of the reason you're high on him in the first place. Uh, we hope to see more uh, work in the receiving game, and we know he's an efficient player. He does a lot uh, with his touches. I think the involvement A.J. Dillon more could be what will help Aaron Jones. Uh, so, you know, you'll see him in the slot. You know when the Green Bay Packers get near the goal line, like – Aaron Rodgers is picking and choosing who he wanted to get them touchdowns. And Aaron Jones is his guy. So you you got every reason to be high on him going into this season. Aaron Jones has been tough for me because he typically goes right next to Saquon Barkley. And Barkley, it's so much easier to see how he has just an absurd snap workload, getting all the touches out of the backfield. He's a younger player. Aaron Jones turns 28 in December, which, you know, makes you a little bit nervous. But... I think once Saquon kind of moves up to the one-two turn, which is, I think, where he'll ultimately settle, then Aaron Jones becomes a little bit easier. You know, you don't have that choice to make anymore. And, yeah, I think if Rodgers does not have receivers that he trusts, he will check down. I mean, people have criticized Rodgers for checking down too much. I don't think he, he will have a problem checking down to a guy he trusts in Aaron Jones. He could, he could set a career high in receptions. Real quick, how many is he going to catch, Pat? What's your projection for Aaron Jones? Is it 75? Are you going to man up and say 75? Let's go 76. <laughs> there you go. 76 catches for Aaron Jones in 2022. We have time for one more question. Yes, sir. Talking about one of the hot-button players in fantasy, this summer with no receiver competition and a new quarterback in Matt Ryan, where are we on Michael Pittman this year in fantasy? Afraid because he's going a little bit too early for where I want to take him, but I really don't have a strong argument against him. So it's just like one of those situations where in the past I feel like I've been caught out a little bit because I'm like, this guy's really, I think, maybe more of a late third round value and got to take him in the early third. But ultimately, I'm, I mean, it's pretty easy to imagine him being kind of Matt Ryan's Calvin Ridley in that offense. And I think that's a, a smart coaching staff. I don't think they want to be as run heavy as they were at the end of last year. They were doing that, I think, to protect the team against Carson Wentz, and if Matt Ryan isn't a quarterback upgrade, which I think he will be, that could be a really big deal for the way they're approaching the offense of being a little bit more pass-first. I think I bought all-in on Michael Pittman, and early in the summer, I was a little hesitant, like, yeah, like wow, I'm not sure if Michael Pittman should be sometimes going in like, like as a top-ten receiver, um, but cause, you know, sometimes it can be bad, of course, when you're the only show in town. As we saw with like TJ Hawkinson, he's kind of a bad example because he's a tight end. He's not as explosive a playmaker as Michael Pittman, but when defenses can key all their attention on you, I mean, it doesn't matter if you have no target competition, but Michael Pittman's kind of famously a man, like, beats man coverage. And with Matt Ryan, you know, sometimes when you think of Matt Ryan as a quarterback, like, the easy narrative is, like, Matt Ryan threw no, barely threw any touchdowns to Kyle Pitts last year, didn't ever throw touchdowns to Julio Jones. He's afraid to make, the like, those tight window throws in the most important parts of the field. But, you know, going back to Roddy White, I mean, Matt Ryan has supported so many wide receiver one campaigns. Roddy White, that's my boy right there. <laughs> like he's almost he's quite frequently supported two wide receiver ones and is a guy who we know can produce wide receiver one seasons. I, the last thing on Pittman, it, it, we, there was that report I think yesterday where Frank Reich said, look, the elite teams in this league do, do not do ground and pound. We know that. We don't want to do that. Now 
with a viable starting quarterback in Matt Ryan, maybe they can do that. So we talked about the what-if scenarios. What if the Giants are good? What if the Eagles pass more? What if the Colts are a pass-heavy team? Like, that, that changes your view of, of Pittman. It changes your view of Jonathan Taylor, of whoever's playing tight end, Mo Alley-Cox, <laughs> you know, whoever. whoever. And, and so if you, if you take that into account, I think, at least for me, the, that possibility makes Pittman a very appealing target in redraft. Yeah, and if you think, like, you know, I, I get, like I said, Pittman is someone I struggled with a little bit. I'm not as high as some others, but one thing I try to think through is, could he be going at like the two oh two in drafts next year? And I right. think he could. So, you know. So yeah, as we turn off Denny's mic, this is what I mentioned Denny has replaced Jonathan Taylor at one one with Michael Pittman actually. <laughs> and uh, and Naheem Hines is Denny's one two. That's right. So, That's right. Thank you so much for participating and thank you so much for the amazing questions. Uh, thank you for listening. If you were listening to this in podcast form and please, please check out our draft day marathon on Wednesday, August seventeenth. All the mock drafts, all the Q and A's all the YouTube content with Denny and I for some reason. So thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you so much for listening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.